0: To the Young Money Podcast, where Teddy Young Rice interviews young entrepreneurs, hustlers, and innovators to get a first-hand view into the exciting future and the people who will lead us there.
1: Hey, what's up, Adam? How you doing? doing well, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks, uh, thanks again for, for being on, on the podcast. Uh, how's everything going? Are, are you in uh are you in LA right now?
0: Yeah, yeah. In LA. Um actually in a couple of weeks I'm gonna be in that or start in New York City for the Oh next no week. way. Moving there? Just uh, you know, sigh. Uh no. Uh he was fraternity brother in my year at Stanford. Um we're just gonna be living in the city for a month. Why okay. not?
1: Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. It's uh it'll be cool. And I was talking about like post COVID and all that, but um Yeah. I mean, I realistically, like if you're working online, your job's cool with it. Why not live in a different place every month or like every other month, go, you know, go somewhere. It's a lot of, a lot of flexibility. Um, that's sweet. I actually just moved to New York like, uh, a month, month ago. And it's actually a lot of like, a lot of tech people here, a lot of people doing business startups. So it's, it's nice to see, uh, like SF and Silicon Valley kind of like decentralized. Um, but But yeah, that's, that's sweet. Glad, glad you're going to come visit.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah. Are you in New York right now?
1: Yeah, I am. Very cool.
0: So see you soon.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, usually the way I like to get started is just kind of like, you know, having you just share a quick, you know, background on yourself, um, you know, how, how you got started entrepreneurship to what you did at what's goodly you know maybe covering that maybe what you did afterwards and then what you're doing today and just kind of that that journey at a high level
0: uh sure absolutely uh yeah so some background my name's adam i uh grew up in los angeles um I was always entrepreneurial not necessarily exposed to any tech though you know i hadn't taken a computer science class till i got to stanford um but once i got there um you know partially it's just they teach the best intro class. Second, it's just, you know, that's what everyone's talking about and all the resources where, um, you know, as soon as I was at Stanford, I knew I want to build an app. Um, and so I guess, you know, it started out as it started out one summer, my freshman, sophomore summer, um, you know, had an idea for what's goodly, And that was, you know, the first app that I built. Um, it actually it came out of like a dorm room debate. Um, I remember it was like, we were debating, it was a pretty controversial case at Stanford, it was a rape case. Um, I don't know if you recall, like stand with Leia. Um, essentially it was, you know, people were like carrying mattresses or like walking out carrying mattresses. Um, but anyways, this controversial case um, and me and my roommate and a couple other people in the dorm I guess we were debating, you know, how do people actually think about this, um, you know, on our campus? Because you couldn't really have that discussion. Um, I guess outside of you know maybe a couple of close intimates, um, but you know we're super curious, and I'm sure everyone else on campus was also super curious to find that answer, and so decided you know kind of based off that yik yak model, um, you know there's a real opportunity to kind of crowdsource information, um, and in doing so kind of promote open campus dialogues. So anyway, that was kind of the spark of inspiration, but really what that ended up looking like was spending a summer kind of self teaching iOS. To kind of build an MVP that ultimately, um, you know, was a rat's nest. Where ended up actually that sophomore year, coming back, um, recruiting one of my friends, Chris, to become you know co-founder CTO. Even though at that point he honestly like didn't know much about coding either. So then we went out and reached out to the head of the computer science club at Stanford, um, Ayush. And so it was really once we reached out to him um, and got him involved, and he really helped early on both build the MVP, but also really advise us on you know how to go about building an app um really the mvp process and happy to go in deeper there as well because you know initially we started out with this really complex idea um, lots of different features and one of the best moments in time we had was kind of that sophomore winter we realized all right let's launch this really as a minimal viable product and we scrapped we basically crossed out about 80 percent of what the app was going to be And that enabled us to launch it within, you know, a brief amount of time. Um, and also it enabled, it kept the app simple and that's, you know, one lesson I've learned throughout launching a bunch of different apps is, you know, the key of simplicity and having that singular focus when you initially launch that MVP. Um, so anyway, you know, long story short, launched that up on campus, got popular at Stanford where, you know, within weeks, thousands of students were using it. And, you know, everyone's son, mother, whatever um, at Stanford has some connection to the Valley. So that ended up leading to getting reached out by a ton of different BCs that spring, um, you know, Sequoia, Andreessen, et cetera, um, not knowing at all what we were doing. Basically did everything wrong we possibly could do um, and happy to go into, uh, you know, that as well of all the fundraising, fundraising lessons. Yeah. But, um, you know, we flubbed that, but ended up, you know, with the term sheet anyway, so raised half a million um, and a lot of journey came from there, you know, ended up, you know, I can talk about the team, you know, initially I had a team of Stanford co-founders and at a certain point, you know, that team went back to school and then um, had to kind of recruit a new team from scratch, which was, mm-hmm. you know, a super hard part about the company, but also, um, you know, ended up being able to recruit a CTO um, who was Stanford grad at that point, Alex Atala, who is, you know, incredible. Um, so you know, it was definitely a roller coaster story, and yeah, you know, lots of you know, we went through a big pivot where we pivoted from a big social media focus, kind of like a Snapchat, to more of a market research focus. Um, you know, that's kind of the story I feel like of every startup. You know, yeah, team, team building, rebuilding, pivoting, you know, figuring out product market fit. Um, yeah, you know, got to wear a bunch of different hats, learned a ton. Um, ultimately, ended up returning to school. You know, after you decided, you know, trying to raise a five million dollar series A wasn't very close, but like ultimately for a handful of different reasons, both macro and you know micro, um, weren't able to do that. And you know, ultimately kind of we were faced with a decision of, you know, do we like dramatically cut our costs, you know, turn this into like a lifestyle business of, you know, it's just gonna be, you know, me and my co-founder or um, you know, do I return to school? Uh, do I, uh, you know, finish my degree and, you know, take another crack at it. And, you know, that's the path, um, went, um, chose and, you know, really happy in the sense of, you know, I've really over the last couple of years been focused on building a stronger foundation. You know, that means actually learning the, the skills of being able to code myself, yeah. being able to build those ideas, building the better habits, you know, around like, you know, building a startup is a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. if you want to be hundred percent every day, you know, that meant, you know, I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day at the peak of what's goodly. And it was just unsustainable. You know, I was waking yeah. up and just terrible breakfast, going to sleep super late. Um, you know, I was every night was kind of trying to pull that all nighter, yeah. um, but ultimately, you know, really? realize that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been focused on, you know, one being healthy so I can, you know, just kind of be at the top of the game to building, you know, the skills, the skills that you don't really have time to learn when you're running in the middle of the startup, which is, all right, how do I actually code this? What's scalable architecture? Um, You know, just reading a lot of books about both just like in general, I love biographies, but also just, you know, business books about startups, et cetera. Um, So yeah, you know, I'm very much still obsessed with the startup game, particularly, you know, building social apps and just, you know, preparing to take another crack at it now
1: nice really good overview and yeah definitely a lot a lot like, of the the rant no it was good it, was good. it really good overview and like really good uh, kind of a lot of a lot of pieces to dissect but yeah i mean um uh you know i, I was a couple of years younger than you but i remember coming to, to stanford campus and like what skill was like the big thing uh and then like you know before that was snapchat all like, oh, like all these like crazy like you know mobile apps consumer social apps that at Stanford. Um, that's super cool. Yeah. And obviously no, very close with, with a lot of people you worked with. Um, okay. but yeah, I, I guess like going back to the start of, of what's goodly, um, how, cause I mean, yeah, you definitely want to hear more about like, how did you guys get the growth and tra- or, or actually going back even further? You said you guys had a lot of features that you wanted to introduce and then you eventually realized simple was better. And that's definitely a big thing that we hear all like, you know, you hear all the time, but it's you know easier said than done, especially when you're like in that mindset, like build, build, build. us add all these different things. Uh, what were you guys like? What did you guys scrap, and how did you learn? How did you realize that you needed to go simple? Totally. Um, yeah. So I guess
0: so. It start when I initially had the app, we got some design firm to yeah. help design these mockups, and you know these mockups they looked pretty, like great UI but ultimately the UX involved, it took seven taps, like clicks, to be able to click into a poll, view the poll, vote, see the results, and then navigate back to kind of the home. Yeah. And part of that was, you know, having, you know, fancy animations for showing results. Part of it was just um, having categories, you know, we were like, all right, here's, we're gonna like split it up into these various categories. Um, and ultimately we actually, ha- Went to an open office hours with Gary Tan. Um, he was having one of those at Stanford, and I remember showing him the designs, and he just like was just he was brutally harsh. He was like, "This is shit. <laughs> um, you know these designs. This looks exactly, um, you know, basically what designers like web designers would do. Yeah, they were like taking something in the web and just fitting it to a rectangle, but you know it wasn't at all optimized for you know being mobile and you know, didn't really consider the user experience. And so I remember, you know, he just, he just, he said it was shit and just, you know, get rid of it all. And based off of that, you yeah. know, me and um, my co-founder at that point, Chris, I remember we just like left that meeting, sat down in the quad and for like a couple hours, we just like brainstormed and just started crossing shit out and just thought like, all right, how can we like simplify this down and, yeah. um, as much as possible? And essentially it became one feed you know, you never left that, like you vote, you saw the polls on that feed, you could vote on that feed. And it was that seamless, basically created this kind of mindless experience where you could like vote, see the results, scroll, vote, see the results, scroll, and just kind of do that mindlessly versus like all this intense navigation and, you know, decisions that would have been involved um, otherwise.
1: Nice. Yeah. No, I think it's like, that's that's definitely key. It's simple, especially with consumers. I mean, people are, are lazy. They want something quick and easy. Um, yeah, it's funny that you guys use the designs. So I feel like the whole, yeah, honestly, I touched on this, like whole startup game has evolved so much that now there's like standards online. There's like, you know, um, there or like no, one, no one necessarily knows, but there's like more better practices that are more transparent, yeah. I guess. But in the early days, when you were building that, What's goodly? There was like no, there was no real playbook. Like it is like now, it's almost like building an app. Like college is almost uh, not commonplace, but it's almost you know, it's like it's a lot more common and there's like a lot more resources around it. But in those early days, it really was no, um no podcast or no like necessarily books on this stuff. So it's just it was just kind of like figuring it out. So I feel like nowadays it's like oh yeah, like simple is better and like you know like like prototype and MVP. But it's like back then it's like that wasn't even a thing.
0: Totally. Yeah. Even, I guess, you know, like, you know, like Firebase, like all these solutions now that just like make it really easy to like launch apps, build back ends. Um, you know, those didn't even, I guess exist at that point. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, ultimately I guess, yeah, in a way it actually is now, I feel like easier than ever to create that MVP. It just takes that much more discipline because, you know, it's easy to build things and, um, you know, I'm going through that exact same experience now, you know, trying to build it up. And it's like, it's yeah. so painful, uh, you know, to like take away a feature, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. especially if you've already spent time building it. But, yeah.
1: um, especially when you don't know what features people will want. Like, it's like, damn, if I had that one feature I wanted to add, maybe that could have been the killer feature that actually would have seen the traction. I would have had six different things, six different features. And like I would have seen one, like, you know, feature the last feature, feature six, which I was gonna scrap, I actually would have gotten data on people using that. And that would have then become the focus. So it's like Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely, so what's goodly, I mean, you know, definitely props. I mean, you you were when I was, you know, on campus, definitely, you know, looked up to to you and the team working on what's goodly, you guys had, you know, really crazy success. And like getting any viral success with any consumer app is extremely hard. Um, and I know from OnKid and Clay, uh all them you know the, the, the journey i guess maybe could you like delve a little deeper into um just like yeah the, the journey of, of what's goodly maybe some like some highs some lows some like fun moments some maybe just unexpected experiences that maybe you guys ran into
0: absolutely um yeah i mean so part of what was crazy about it was you know i was 19 when you know took time off school to go do yeah. this time and you know i was you know basically me you know the same age as we're all the oldest people at the company. Um, And, you know, when we ended up hiring people, you know, we mostly hired um, kind of recent grads out of college. So it was a smart team with very little experience, a lot of energy. We uh, had a, basically we got a house in Menlo Park um, and we worked and lived out of that house um, where we got interns to, you know, come live there. We had, um, you know, about 75% of the people who worked there. You know, lived in this house. So it very much was kind of that Silicon Valley startup house. I remember actually we had our intern like planned to come the day before. Didn't have a room for him. You know, we had a garage. So, you know, had a like a crazy home improvement project where yeah, we painted yeah. the walls. Uh, did was, the was that
1: intern on kid or no?
0: No, that was uh, it was Ryan Ottinger who okay. he actually went to Stanford too. Um, and it's funny because once I was back, we yeah. graduated the same year. Um, but yeah, no, he was awesome, I and mean, we had a lot of good times because you know it's it's cool being young at that age, having that agency, yeah. Um, you know, and we're all you know working hard, but you know when you're also doing it twenty four seven, you know, um, you know we made sure to have a fun time doing it as well. Yeah. Um, also, because it was a college app, and a lot of our marketing strategy was around college events. You know, we got to sponsor a ton of different events. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we would go to those, and it was always you know. Ton of fun, you know. We had all our What's Goodly gear that we'd give out. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually had a couple really fun trips to uh, did a What's Goodly Cabo trip, which was incredibly successful and actually because I mean that's where all these West you know coast schools go for spring break. Yeah. So we were the one. It was us and then like thirty different colleges. So you know, we had a table. We were giving out you know all our What's Goodly gear. Uh, you know, may may not be giving out shots for downloads. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know it was actually crazy because you know once we got the, back from spring break, um, like WashU, the next week was just yeah. getting thousands of downloads every week. Um, where you know it does show um, differentiation, you know wherever possible, as much as possible, and yeah. that applies not just to the features, not just to you know your target market, but you know in in how you advertise. Like, you know, we wanted to be, we always tried to advertise where no other advertiser would be, where yeah. they were hitting us up about, hey, do you want to be one of a group of sponsors? Yeah. You know, we were never, we were, that was never us. You know, we were, it was what's goodly parties or, um, you know, kind of taking advantage of things where only college kids would really be able to do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Leaning into uh, that. I like how you said you guys uh, uh, try to find, Marketing opportunities where you guys are the only one I uh, think yeah, that's actually that's actually clutch because otherwise it's just like okay like it's you today, who's it tomorrow like it's not as special um, yeah yeah, and I guess like around that time I mean when you were at Stanford like snapchat was was starting to grow i don't know if like you knew Evan and like like uh Yae was you know growing on the east Coast. it was kind of like that like golden era of like, like college social apps, I feel like, you know, Tinder was, you know, a little bit earlier, I guess. Um, yeah. How did that like play into like how you guys like viewed yourselves or like, you know, plan stuff?
0: Totally. I mean, I remember the lunch, I was a senior, at, you know, in LA. I remember it was in one lunch time where Snapchat just took over the entire school. You know, at the beginning of lunch, no one had Snapchat. And by yeah. the end of lunch, every single person in the school had it. Um, and it just kind of took it like storm, and in the very beginning, it was you know a sexting up. Yeah. Um, I remember like you know that's the first reason I use it you know just as a joke, you know you send basically take a picture yeah. one second, and you know um you know that's what it was, and it taught me a couple of things of one, you know the potential virality yeah. you know of uh, seeing you know and we you know basically what virality looks like up close. And kind of capturing that same, you know, word of mouth growth. And you know, virality it almost always starts with finding, you know, a close group of friends to use it. You yeah. know, get, find a small group of evangelists. You know, yeah. It's not about getting a lot of broad people who kind of care about it. It's about yeah. getting five people who are obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, so all it takes is, you know, kind of spreading through a small but committed group um, to get it to explode. Also showed how like, you know, Snapchat, it was interesting because the thing that made Snapchat go viral would not have allowed it, I think, to also maintain retention, Um, where it is almost, it's like a twofold process. Um, And I remember seeing it at Snapchat, you know, experiencing it where it blew up on our campus, you know, my high school campus, everyone was using it, you know, a ton, but within a few weeks, People stopped using it. Like I stopped using it after a few weeks, and it wasn't until they launched Stories um, that it then had a comeback. Like two months later, we were once again using it, but it was a dead app. You know, it was this like fun sexting app for yeah. for a second, kind of like what's goodly. You know, in some places, yeah. Um, you know, had that viral peak and then died off. Do,
1: um, do you think it's because of like single player mode versus multiplayer mode, like? less work like more work to like find some of the message every day but then there's like it's easier to be passive and like because with apps like that you need creators right and and most people aren't going to create content they're going to consume so i feel like stories are having i mean it's probably arguments to having two features to a product or two ways to use it and having one drive the other and having like a feedback loop
0: yeah i mean i think that's a good point around like you know, having a feedback loop of, I mean, the way I've always seen it is like, you have a feature to drive growth, like a yeah. viral feature, yeah. or even just a, vi- a use case. And in their case, you know, the use case, the, the their viral kind of driver was this idea of sexting, yeah. um, or this idea of, you know, sending these pics. And it's like, kind of that saucy, you know, salacious, you know, it's, that's the virality. Yeah, yeah. Um, And in what's goodly, you know, some of it, you know, it was like, these fraternity polls or, you know, whatever. You know, it's like yeah. this frat, that frat. Um, you know, we tried to really, you know, clamp down on like uh cyberbullying, but you know, that was totally an issue. And ironically, like, you know, saw a name. Basically it's it's weird. It's, you know, it's polls that include people's names, um, you know, are both the most popular and they mm-hmm. killed the app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would cause it to grow and it would cause everyone to stop using it. Yeah. yeah. So, um,
1: there was actually a random thing to add there. There There's actually, I think, for some kid from my year from Stanford who published an article on LinkedIn. I just like randomly saw it that they like analyze, like a PhD level, analyze what type of content is the most viral or is the most engaging. And it's content by far, like it literally by far out of all the other types, it was content that included. Um, that poked fawn or i guess just like uh said something about an out group with with uh, an out group um and like an outsider so essentially like finding a way to exclude somebody or talk about you know another group that that are outsiders was the best way to was the most viral way to create content
0: interesting yeah i mean i know like you know, we personally experienced, you know, we had a lot of these campus articles written about us. Yeah. Sometimes there were like fluff pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, if we knew, you know, our, found, our campus founder would get a piece written, but by far we saw it was the negative coverage yeah, that yeah. generated 10 to 50 times as much downloads. Like it wasn't even close. Interesting. The nice, just the fact that someone feels passionate enough yeah. Yeah. to write an angry article, it shows like, huh, this actually seems pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of counterintuitive things when it comes to like. I guess that's saying, you know, all press is good publicity, but like, yeah, yeah, bad publicity is the best when it comes to growth.
1: Yeah, interesting. And and do you think related to that, that especially for consumer social, which, which by the way, I'm like have a like a love hate relationship with. I'm kind of like, there's a new form of consumer these days which involves money, but consumer is just such a shit show. Uh, gotcha. Hard to predict, but it is fun, and you, and you impact people, and you get scale. But do you think with consumer, if you're controversial as like a product, because I've heard that too that that's that you're you, like you need to be controversial to grow. Essentially, it needs to be you know like Snapchat with like sexting. You guys could have been perceived as cyberbullying, like that actually was good for you guys being noticed. And that the apps that are kind of bland, like don't you don't really talk about them or think about them all the time, won't won't take up enough mind share in order to go viral and to be spoken about?
0: I I do think like, not necessarily, like I think not just controversy for controversy's sake, but like, yes, ultimately, I, I mean, I think like if you dig into the controversy, like, you know, why is something controversial? It's because like, you know, there's this, basically there's like some salacious sauce. There's like, that's, that, um, you know, that stuff, it's fun, but yes, it doesn't last yeah Um, no it's not that will not guarantee retention but i think it helps with growth and so like kind of going back to like the snapchat stories is what made snapchat snapchat in my opinion and then they followed it up with the ar filters um you know which was key but you know it was the the disappearing messages is was the growth but if they didn't follow up with stories i think at least in la you know they just stopped being used
1: Interesting. I've, I've never, I've never heard of some, I mean, I definitely think growth is like 80% the product, especially nowadays with like the ease of using Facebook ads. Like you could, you could put millions of dollars into something. And like, if you don't get like, if it's not economical, like you can grow, you can, you can like, is a way to grow. It's just not sustainable growth. Yeah. But I do think that like pro, most, most of growth with products is like 80% the product. But um, I've never heard it that way where, it's actually good to think about. Like, you have like you need to consider a feature or an element of the product that leads to retention and one that leads to growth, and they're and they're usually not the same thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, at least you know. I mean, you know, I'm no expert. I mean, sure. this this is simply like you know what I guess you know my life experiences up to this point has yeah. kind of been leading to yeah um, where it does seem like you know there there's growth. And then there's the retention feature, and yes, kind yeah. of having that feedback um, that loops important.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's super cool. Um, and so with what's goodly, obviously, long you know, crazy journey, You guys, um, you know, exploded in growth. Um, and then you said you you know later on pivoted, try to get the data. What was that like with uh, right? So even with like the cyberbullying stuff, what? what was that experience like? And then later on, like, what was like the data experience? Like, cause I feel like those are two different, you know, products and also probably like pros and cons to either. And like, I'm sure the stuff that you learned about, uh, cause those are two ways of really like, you know, those are two different business models essentially.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess like, so initially the cyberbullying was really, you know, most prominent in the first three months of launching. Like we launched at the end of the school year that spring. Yeah. Um, because we were totally unprepared in the sense of, you know, we launched this app and, you know, a week later, you know, thousands of people were using it, but we had no, you know, moderation tools that made it efficient or easy. Um, You know, we just hadn't even planned, you know, how to do it. And so it ended up being, you know, me and Chris switching off, like, you know, pulling shifts of like being up super late at night, just like in the Django backend, just like manually deleting and manually like, blocking people. Nice. Um, but you know, if something's up for a couple of hours, it's done its damage. And so like that, totally, you know, that it wasn't good enough. Um, and I do think it was response, you know, Stanford ended up becoming kind of it was our first, and yet, it died and never came back relatively early. And I think part, part of the reason why that was is, once it gets known as, um, you know, once cyberbullying started to dominate the app, um that's how people view it and you know no longer is it interesting um any app can be the anonymous cyber bully app you know it's not that hard just create a feed um but it's not that useful and that's not gonna you know sustain so ultimately you know through a lot of you know efforts investment we did build a really good uh moderation system you know a lot of it was automated. We also, you know, had a really efficient dashboard. Yeah. Um, you know, it was community source. It was like three different layers. There was automation, community, and then you know this manual dashboard. Um, so we were able to solve the moderation issue. However, you know, this was kind of fast forward. You know, over the summer we built in the moderation. That fall we were ready for it. Yeah, and we were getting solid growth. However, the, you know, we kind of like realized this app we weren't going to ever. You know, ultimately we got 400,000 college students on the app, um, but we were never gonna, you know, we weren't on track to, you know, get to millions of users. And once we saw, you know, we weren't really breaking out of college, um, you know, effectively, and we're not gonna hit, you know, tens of millions of users. We needed to like pivot our model from, you know, this isn't the next Snapchat, but this yeah. could be the millennial gala. Um, you know, and, and, no and one has you- landlines.
1: Yeah, and how did you start? How did you realize? Because I feel like you know, with startups like pivoting and knowing when to iterate and all that, and just looking at data, how did you know that it wasn't going to break that trajectory? Because four hundred thousand—that's a—that's a ton of people. You know, once again, you guys like did a really great job of getting that point. Most people never get past forty people. How did you know that um, there were just inherent flaws? Because it seems like you know, if you grew to that point, why couldn't you grow further? People, someone could—you know—you could argue.
0: Yeah. Um, So I guess yeah. So I mean, at that point, our MAUs was probably four hundred thousand was throughout the lifetime of the app. Sure. Yeah. Um, That point, we were. I think we're at like fifty thousand MAUs. Um, like twenty k weeklies. Um, so we had you know strong, relatively strong usage. Um, and probably like a little over like it was ten, yeah, like ten to fifteen dailies. Um, so up basically it was two things one the retention was not strong enough from a it wasn't 80 90 percent retention yeah. you know, we did have somewhat of a leaky bucket I mean on average users were answering over 500 surveys you know on the platform so they lasted a while um, and some of them you know lasted a really long time but it wasn't you know the rock solid retention and we also weren't getting viral growth Past colleges, you know, a college campus has like 5,000 people, 20,000 yeah. people max, but we were never seeing like 100,000, you know, there wasn't even that potential. Yeah. And we did experiment, you know, trying to kind of launch in different communities um, with not, you know, it just wasn't the same, um, per, you know, value being fulfilled. Um, and meanwhile, you know, there was a seemingly good opportunity, a seemingly good business need for polling college students, you know, this is also like around the time of these elections, basically yeah. you know, landline college students don't have landlines. That's how traditional pollsters do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this demographic is just very hard to reach. Um, and that all turned out to be really true. What's tricky is the mark. And, you know, I don't want to bore you with how the, you know, the market research industry, but basically it's a terrible industry. Um, not a, most of it is not so useful. You know, it's what people spend to save their, on their marketing budget at the end of the year, yeah. to tell you what you already know. And it's it's built in such a way where we couldn't easily plug in our audience. You know, even though we were getting a million responses a day, we couldn't like easily plug that into the supplier base. They wanted us to like send our users to these like 45 minute boring surveys. Um, so we were never able to really create a sales channel at scale.
1: Yeah. Interesting, yeah. And I mean, I I still will say that like um, it was smart to look in that direction, given what you had, and consider that because that 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 itself is actually you know pretty unique insight of like market research in the big industry. They've you know failed to be able to address a younger audience. We have a, an app with younger audience of people answering things and making that connection. I feel like is pretty smart.
0: We did do a lot of cool things. I mean, we got like published, you know. Like eighty of our studies published across like CNN, Fox, Forbes, Newsweek, Time, etc. Yeah, yeah. So in the media, we had a ton of success with that strategy. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you know, we could create surveys on whatever we wanted, you know, and yeah. within twenty-four hours, have thousands of college students telling you their opinion. The issue was, is you know, couldn't find you know who would pay for it at scale um, consistently. So we yeah. tried out a bunch of SaaS offerings, etc. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we ultimately like partially it's the industry, Um, you know, it's just not a great space, but then partially it's also, um, I guess for us to really, for us to do it, it almost, we can't plug into the existing market research vertical. You almost have to like build it anew.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I know there's like more, uh, survey apps these days, but they're different. They're like, they pay you, you know, and there's a different approach, but you have to kind Mm -hmm. of you have to be on a survey up from like the beginning you know and it's like that's way more involved um yeah. so so adam after so worked on what's goodly and then i know you said you you went you i just stanford we're still kind of you know working through things and then and then i you know, we, we chatted a year ago or whatever um and then i know you you were talking about going back to the basics and learning um afterwards how what, what i guess after the whole what's goodly experience like how did you, how, how, what was your outlook on startups? You know, to this day, you still are doing startups and that's actually like, you know, at, like similar to me that worked on a bunch of things. I think it's all about persistence and learning. And if you really enjoy, it, you keep trying Um, you learn each time, but you know, how did your perspective change given that experience and like, what did you end up doing after?
0: Absolutely. Um, I guess given that experience, my perspective definitely changed. I mean, in terms of, you know, I initially went in thinking, you know, going to get rich early, retire, (laughs) party on a yacht, you know, like that type of bullshit. Um, And, you know, my perspective changed of, you know, even now seeing like, basically, if you want to get rich, don't go into startups. You know, it's really it's like if you have a creative drive and you want to like build shit, that's why you'd go into it, because like. Yeah. You know, it's it's harder than a normal job. You get paid less than a normal job. You know, it's longer hours than a normal job. Um, and the payoff, you know, you can't, you basically you can't count on like the end of the payoff. So like, yeah, the experience itself, you know, you need to enjoy it. And I think we did a really good job of what's good of, you know, enjoying the experience. Although like personally, I didn't, I just like wasn't prepared, you know, both in terms of knowledge and skills and all of that. Yeah. Um, so, what I've been doing now is, you know, I've been working at startups um, and I'm, you know, learning on someone else's dime. Um, but, you know, working actually as a software engineer, um, I was at a blockchain startup um, my junior, senior summer once I was back and then worked remotely um, consulting for them. Um, happy to go into that block one. Basically, they're the ones behind EOS. It's interesting. Like, they have an interesting story, raised an yeah. insane amount of money. Um, so actually went and lived in virginia for a few months working there um and now i'm actually at a company called Verishop, um where it's like some ex snap leadership um yeah, yeah. and also like some amazon uh you know founded this company and i've really been enjoying it from like it's you know really talented team you know um from an engineering wise you know learning a ton best practices how to build for scale um and, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's like, I actually like most people come from, um, you know, companies like Facebook, Snap, Amazon, et cetera, these big companies. So, um, I've enjoyed kind of getting to meld my kind of startup perspective yeah, yeah. Um, with these perspectives. Um, and yeah, learning a lot, um, enjoying it.
1: Nice. And, and, and doing side projects too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. know. I've been working on, uh, a side project, you know, again, and kind of basically an app called study party, um, basically social learning platform, a way for, you know, that high school students can study for standardized tests, just together yeah. with their students um, ideas is, you know, make it fun by making it social, allow people to meet each other, and then also kind of compete. Um, you know, there'll be like weekly cash prizes based off practice scores. Um, and the goal there is, you know, I guess another lesson I learned was like, yeah begin with distribution in mind, you know, yeah. distribution is the first question and the yeah, you know, yeah. last question. And so, you know, one of the inspirations here is, you know, I was talking to like a bunch of different tutoring companies and um, you know, there is a need, both the online tutoring companies and the physical ones, you know, really have a need for kind of providing an engaging social experience, you know, a way for students that they can study with other students. Cause these online classes are just really boring yeah um and the in person ones are inconvenient so uh so basically the goal is just to just um right now i just need to m v p test it but eventually just like bundle it in with um you know s a t packages um driver's ed packages um where this is just kind of a supplementary training tool
1: yeah nice yeah and i feel like it, and it's just all about iterating like learning new things and and i i the distribution part it's so true um and, you know, how h- you considered? I actually want to touch, touch on the blockchain thing in a second, but um, I've actually said this earlier that I think it's actually like timing's everything, potentially, or timing's a big part of everything. And like um, Gen Z is now, you know, coming to age and there's actually opportunity to build for them and they want new experiences. It's actually good timing for someone like yourself who's built before and then has the experience. And then now you have a new group of people who who really the, the oldest people in that group, they could build for themselves. But if you're a little bit older and you have that experience, you can build for them too. Um, there's definitely an opportunity there, but have you considered being like, screw consumer social and instead of focusing on enterprise or other industries? Honestly,
0: I'm not there yet. I'm still like, I'm obsessed <laughs> with tracking. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Consumer social, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. it's uh for better or for worse, honestly, probably for worse, but um, yeah, no, I feel like ever since what's good, we kind of just been passionate about creating those experiences. And there is kind of a power with social that, I mean, obviously with enterprise application, any creator tools, I think you can kind of get, like I love building something and then kind of seeing a community take it in ways that you didn't even expect.
1: Yeah, 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 no, I mean, definitely agree with that it's um, it's a lot harder but like the payoff is it's just cool seeing people use something uh, versus like a company just kind of throws it into the stack you know it's like you know you, you get a check but it's not as like special um, in terms of like impact um so yeah, yeah what was the uh, what was the blockchain experience like because I I know also as well you know 2017 2018 um, When we were both there, that was kind of like the, like I guess the second peak of like crypto, like first peak in like in big I don't know 2012, yeah. I don't know the, the history that well, but that was like kind of like the first main peak when it kind of hit the Bay Area, especially. um, Yeah, how did you get interested in it, and like what what did you what did you end up doing in it? Totally. Well, yeah. So I mean, I guess like blockchain was kind of
0: happening as what's goodly was shutting down. Yeah. So like. Part of that time, and actually, you know, my co-founder, you know, he went on to go do a blockchain company, OpenC, which, you yeah. know, now gone yeah. on to raise a shitload. Um, but so the timing of it kind of worked out nicely where it's like, you know, what's goodly was me. Like I had such an identity crisis after that, where <laughs> yeah. after a while, basically, you know, kind of was looking for, you know, all right, what, what am I excited about? And, you know, blockchain was kind of as a super cool thing. So naturally just kind of, delved into it and ultimately i guess one thing you know and it was yes it was during this crazy time the prices were going up and got super caught up in the trading for a bit but you know ultimately realized like fuck the trading uh uh you know through the trading um just because you know i got burned on it once that that crash happened like (laughs) i like i i want to learn how to build on it and specifically like would love to like also, you know, built social. You know, obviously, still doing social experiences, and also, like, who knows what's going on here? You know, I kind of just like wanted to figure out, like, mm-hmm. you know, who is someone who actually knows what's happening? And so, one of those, you know, kind of leaders in the field is Dan Larimer. Um, you know, he had done um, Bit uh, Steam and um, Bit Shares, and then you know launched EOS. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had like you know done a couple of these like billion dollar blockchain projects. Uh, so I kind of just reached out and, you know, block one, basically they did the big ICO behind EOS, raised $4 billion to a massive product launch. Um, you know, one of those products being a social product, which now is out, I guess, voice. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, ultimately I I learned, I mean, it was great company, enjoyed, you know, enjoyed my time there, Yeah. but also realized how kind of bad it can be when a company raises too much money. You know, there is this kind of sense of infinite runway. You know, yeah. if you're a company that raised four billion dollars yeah you know, there is no it there's almost a sense of like anything you do is either like not big enough or you know you just invest massively and you know bad you know just don't spend money correctly um but it's also hard it's just like you know that was that was too premature in a way um where now I know you know they've they're doing voice they're you know investing you know it's almost like a holding company and you know, honestly, I don't know too much of the details anymore. I know Dan has since left. Um, there was also like an investor suit against block one, um, which they recently settled. So, uh, you know, ultimately had a great summer there. And, um, my takeaways was that one, no one really knows what's going on. You know, (laughs) there's a sense of like, Oh, you can just, print money (laughs) it's almost like everyone's the government you know yeah yeah, yeah. there's a new form of engagement and it involves just creating a token (laughs) and (laughs) printing money uh so there is this sense of all right i still don't basically it made me more skeptical about decentralized applications after that summer um about like the immediate use cases yeah Uh, that said i'm like incredibly bullish on you know blockchain long-term crypto bitcoin partially like I don't even know if it's a good investment um per se, but it's just like a very it's very interesting and it's kind of like the way I want the world to be. So it's an emotional investment.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and I I was kind of like pretty skeptical when around like that time because I kept asking like for people to explain it and no one really could do it well. And then also I was like, what's the what's the point of it of the utility? And no one could really explain it. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? But then now over as it's matured uh and that's the biggest question i had like friends working in space like what's the utility why can't this be done currently you know why do you need blockchain on top of it um but it is cool to see the space now going through like a second like wave you're not having a lot of people like build on it and ethereum and actually true utility which is which is crazy and then yeah like you said the like the government the economic impact is like is pretty revolutionary we'll um, see where like things settle out but it's almost like it's like completely just it's like a, a new form of like a new economic experiment um, beyond just like you know building um, you know uh, random nFTs or or some you know a true like a, a true revolution with like governments their currency how the right. economy is set up so it definitely is will be interesting to see where where things you know things go
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I and mean, I love history and like, yeah, like it's it's just as interesting for like political science people as it is for engineers.
1: 100%. No, I, I, I same. I love history and exactly that. I mean, I, uh, a brother and a couple of people, a couple of friends have been working on kind of like central bank digital currency stuff. And like the coolest thing there is that, um, it is actually like digital currencies and blockchain are actually, is actually kind of like an issue of national security because, um, basically, the U.S. dollar is strong because we're the reserve currency for a lot of na- most nations around. The world. We are the number one. Yeah. Um, that gives us a lot of power and, like, you know how much we can, how much money we can print. You know and how much we can manipulate our dollar because we're kind of like the the, the standard. But China has been working on their digital currency for a while now, way way more than we have. We're actually very behind, and they're doing the the One Belt One Road initiative, and they're now actually using that as like a Trojan horse to, to Push their digital currency off into like these all all a bunch of different nations, and so it's actually now it's challenging our political power uh, around the world. So wild, yeah, it's crazy. It almost
0: reminds me of like the Apple versus PC, like open versus closed source. Yeah, yeah, model, yeah. Now taking place on a grand scale.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy, uh, and also just the government's ability. Like the government has to. Government has ultimate power, in my opinion. I mean, not ultimate power, but they have a lot of power because they can just say, "Hey, Ethereum is illegal tomorrow," or like, "We're going to tax it, let Bitcoin ninety percent."
0: They can try. I guess what I think about is, I like in terms of the government banning argument. I think about it must for them to want to ban it. Yeah, it must be a threat to their sovereign currency. Yeah, and for it to be a threat, the price must have to go up so much. So even if that does happen, we're at least gonna see like you know at least a thousand percent increase before that happens. Yeah you know it has so much to go before it even matches gold, where yeah. you know they haven't banned gold and in, in the same way gold could be a threat if it got adopted to the extent. Um, where basically, I think that it could it very much is potentially a threat to them. Yeah. But for it to be potentially a threat, it first will have to increase in value where um you yeah, know, you'll be sitting on a lot of gains.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I've heard people saying that the government is involved now cuz they want any 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 new cash or, or money, you know, money coming through the system they want a piece of. Um so they're now getting involved and want to stabilize it. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, going back to like, you know, consumer social, any cool trends that you see right now that you you know, talked about like, you know, social education, which I think is really cool. Um, Any other like trends that you're seeing right now or anything related to Gen Z and this whole new like consumer renaissance that they say is happening?
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess like, well, one, obviously, you know, like live audio, um, you know, that's a huge trend, you know, Clubhouse and now like a million competitors. And, you know, also, you know, when I was interviewing, you know, I basically talked to like a hundred different startups. Yeah. And it was really interesting because got to basically see what's getting funded nowadays. And basically live audio is getting funded. Uh, That's what's hot. But I think more generally a trend is this idea of like presence of like creating experiences, like allowing people, like what social used to look like was like, you know, you weren't actually socializing. You were taking pictures kind of showing off of what it was like when you were hanging out in person you know now social experiences. It's like you are socializing.
1: Yeah, online. yeah. And that
0: means video. That means live audio. Um, you know potentially spatial audio. Um, you know I think it's really just trying to create this sense of you're being you're with the people. Yeah, um, in a super convenient way. Um, you know people are more lonely than ever, and kind of 1.0 social media. You know just exasperated that trend tremendously. Yeah, and. I think kind of the next generation is realizing like, this doesn't serve me, like, I don't need this. Even people who were on it, like, like me, like I'm realizing like, wait, I don't need to be on this. Why am I on it? You know, yeah, I don't yeah. like it. Um, so I think, yeah, next gen social, it's much less about kind of asynchronous. Um, and it's more about just these kind of in the moment kind of spontaneous live, this feeling of, you know, being together.
1: Yeah. 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 And it's cool. Yeah. There's, yeah, It's cool. You say that. I mean, definitely you're, you're have examples that aren't like the new kid on the block, but are kind of like the, the older brother, like discord, you know, um, all these online communities, Reddit even is kind of like Reddit's been evolving over time. Yeah. Um, and then, and then in China there's a lot of examples like in a, a company called soul that just, I think they just IPO and they're, yeah. they're anonymous interest-based social network that uses ai to connect people so you're completely anonymous and they like leverage ai very much like tiktok did to recommend friends for you and you can join like little group chats and i mean it's cool honestly i think like consumer social like if you could look at china and asia for like inspiration it's like pretty cool like it's a good it's a good place to start you know live streaming e-commerce you know um yeah they're really big on that but yeah no, i definitely agree with that. Um uh, yeah,
0: anonymity, I feel like in China has like a whole different meaning and use. <laughs> 100%. I was actually
1: going to ask you, like, do you think an- like anonymous apps, I guess Reddit kind of is anonymous, but like, do you think anonymous apps scale well or like, yeah. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah no, I think, well, there's a great post from the founder of Secret, that anonymous app kind of detailing like the life um, in the data of all these anonymous apps. My feeling around anonymous apps are like, if your app is, if what it is, is, you know, if anonymity is its differentiator slash its value proposition, you yeah. no. like there's a million, you know, there's a graveyard of those apps. Um, if anonymity, you know, if it's kind of, a, you know, feature, uh, you know, to enable something like, you know, for example, like what's Goodly, I mean, we were too anonymous, you know, we should have been more like the Reddit anonymous. We're in the sense of like, you know when you vote it should be anonymous um yeah. you know voting yeah. always you know polling is anonymous um but you know um there's no reason why there shouldn't have, basically we should have had like semi pseudo anonymous identities um i guess like the issue with anonymity is that it's terrible feedback loop cycles um where people are not invested in your platform ever. You know, it's like on a Facebook or Instagram, you know, every time you post something, you add something, you know, an investment in this platform and you're creating this profile of yourself. And also the content is diverse where it's like, you know, if 10 different people say the same thing, like, Hey, I went to the beach today, you know, depending on who that came from, it matters, you know, if your mom said it or your best friend or that girl, but when you post anonymously, you know, basically it's harder to create a diversity of content because, you know, you don't know who said it. And so, um, basically anonymous is both an issue in terms of like a huge part of what gives content meaning is yeah. who said it, who it's coming yeah. from. And what's good that we tried to create that by, we would say the gender of the person, we you know, you know, what school they went to, but yeah, I guess like long story short, um, anonymity, for the sake of anonymity, does not scale well. Um, but you know, if it's used in pursuit of providing some value, um, particularly like as a pseudo anonymous, like a Reddit, yeah. I think that definitely you know is valid.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. Yeah, and like even with Reddit, like you said, it's like you have a username, you have history, people can see what you posted. Um, It's just like not the only thing, I guess the only difference or not only difference, but but you're just not sharing your name and like personal information, but you're sharing everything else, you know, what you're interested in, all that.
0: Yeah. You do have an identity, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, No, that's that's a great take. Um, Amazing. Well, I guess, Adam, any anything else? Um, Any other piece of wisdom, cool story from What's Goodly or from, you know, your startup journey since then? Or anything like, you know, maybe to to, to look out for any trends that you you've spotted that you want to share? Um, I guess
0: listening off cool thing. One one of the cool stories was when the Silicon Valley writers, you know, you know, that show that exists, the HBS show. You know, yeah, they yeah. the you know, to like a bunch of the writers came over to our house. I remember they were touring all our rooms, like taking a picture of like the bong in my room. And like <laughs> it was funny because the next season you saw. The Silicon Valley house looked so different where it was basically just like filled with company swag, which is basically how ours looked, you know, like banners, yeah, trees, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was fun. Um, I guess a general advice would be like, don't waste money on like consultants. I mean, um,
1: our, our hiring strategy <laughs> all, all, was- all, all the consultants out there are gonna be pissed,
0: yeah, <laughs> don't waste <laughs> money on the consultant. Well, it's like if you're gonna bring on the consultant, like just don't, just don't, like basically. You hire someone full time. And, yeah. you know, one thing I realized, like basically, if you want a skill, you kind of have to pay for it. And, you know, part of that, like we basically tried to do everything on the cheap. We yeah. hired, you know, very no one with like a lot of experience. And in some ways, it worked out really well. Like, you know, we really stretched out a dollar. Um, you know, we had a lot of energy, innovative thinkers. But if I was to do it again, I would have raised more money and I would have, you know. Particularly when we did our pivot to the market research, you know we were kind of we were held back by my own kind of uh, learning curve mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I would have brought someone on or to raised the money brought someone on and done it right um where it's always a balance, but sometimes you know you need someone with experience um because you know at the end of the day it's a race, and, you know it's about how much time you have left,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I liked ending on, like, yeah, I liked what you said earlier about uh, you know, kind of related the race, but I guess the opposite, but that it's all, it's a marathon, you yeah, know, exactly learning a and, and getting better at things and all that. And it does take time. I think kind of the quick, quick payouts are pretty rare, you know, like they get rich in your 20, you know, like those are like, it, it could happen, but you know, I think. I don't know if it's
0: ever happened. Like, I wonder, cause I mean, the stories you hear like, well, you know, they were actually working for years and years and years ahead of time. Yeah. Um, where I wonder, I bet it's happened to someone.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone just got lucky on their first job. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're so right. It doesn't sound as cool, though, when it's like, yeah, actually, you know, I spent 10 years, my life fell apart, you know, uh, all, you know, had issues and then and then made the day versus like, you know, this inventor, you know, stumbled yeah. into this secret and then, you know. Overnight yeah. success, it definitely, that sells way better.
0: So much more rewarding though. I think the latter though, um, like it's only like, I feel like once you truly can appreciate the pain of yeah, failure yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that you can like enjoy, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Awesome. Well, Adam has been great. Really appreciate being on here. Um, yeah, I'll keep you posted. Definitely stay in touch. Let me know when you're in New York. Um, okay. we'll definitely chat.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Teddy. This was fun. Um, I'll hit you up in New York.
1: Sounds good. All right. See you, man. Peace.